all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited. All right. So welcome to Authentic Points of View season three premiere. We are live with Corby Mitlide. And she didn't lie, but that's <laughs> I'm so excited about this. I'm excited to be live for the first time. And I'm excited for season three. A year ago, I would have never, ever guessed that I would still be doing this. And I started a new podcast as well. So I'm really excited. Corby, hi. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking. Thank you for being my first live guest. My pleasure. All right. So we've talked about Seth actually a few times we've spoken and um so it's just cool that it worked out this way that you were able to come on the live because you are a very very busy woman which is amazing a little bit yes (laughs) a little bit a lot (laughs) so let me ask you this is a silly question but for anybody that does not know what actually is a medium like what is a psychic medium all right um, this is kind of like the old Venn diagrams we did in there. <laughs> all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. Okay. Putting it together in a psychic medium is kind of like a compound word. Mediums specifically talk to dead people. We get your dead Aunt Rose. Okay. Psychics <laughs> do lots of other things. What kind of psychics are there? Well, there are channels. Channels aren't mediums per se. They're the people who get your spirit guides and your angels and, you know, people like Seth and Abraham, all of that. There are people like me. I'm a certified tarot master. I read tarot and oracle cards. I am a past life specialist. All of those skills use our psychic abilities. But yes, I'm a medium. I can try and get your date, Aunt Mabel, but if she's on a field trip, she won't be by the phone, which is why I tell people, remember, mediums are not dial a dead. okay so well that's good now when did you discover that you had any of the abilities apparently psychic first you when did how old were you I knew I wanted it when I was nine I read a book called the witch family by Eleanor Estes 
And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world and I wanted to go find it. Fast forward to 1973 when I was a senior in high school. Yes, that tells you how old I am. That was the year Live and Let Die came out with Jane Seymour as Solitaire, the card reader. I went into Spencer Gibbs and bought the James Bond 007 tarot deck because we were all hippies then. We had our elephant bell bottoms and the David Crosby fringe jacket and our decks. Um, I continued to read for friends for 20 years because the cards fascinated me. All of a sudden in 1992, three, four, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. That's when I hung out my shingle uh, because the universe had said, hello, you're working for us. And I did it part-time while I had a very checkered career, actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, legal assistant, executive recruiter. But on 9-11, when the towers burned, I turned to my husband and I said, I need to do the psychic work full-time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. So after that, it became six days a week, 14 hours a day. I read about a thousand people a year and I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. And that's the gift. Oh, that's so fantastic. So when you be like, you realized you were a medium, mm -hmm. was it scary or like, because you already knew you were psychic for a long time. So it's not like I've heard stories of people when they were little kids and they were kind of frightened because at first they were just like hearing things like people and stuff. And then maybe they could see like a silhouette or a shadow or something. So in your instance, like did, I mean, you already probably knew about it. How'd you feel about it when it first happened? When I first did it, I wasn't as good at shielding as I should be. And the first couple of people I got were pretty nasty, but I realized it's what people needed. Um, one of the things that I am is a doorway and it helps souls that are kind of caught in the gray spaces down here and haven't made it to the other side to let go. Because I do remember a past life as a World War I soldier, I very often get soldiers who show up in my living room. And the first thing they always want to know is who won and have to explain to them, this is over a hundred years ago, doesn't matter. You get them to forgive the person who killed them and forgive themselves for the people they had to kill. And then you can get them across. Wow. That's so special. That's really, I can't imagine, well, I'm a nurse, so I can kind of imagine it's way different than <laughs> what you're doing, but to be able to touch someone in that aspect and like on a different realm has to be so awesome. And do you ever get overwhelmed? No, because it's not me. I'm the tool. The analogy I use is the hammer does not go strutting around on your back deck and go, look at that nail. I did such a good job. Isn't this deck gorgeous? Someone else held the hammer and slammed its head against the nail. Um, as John Holland says, where the tube the information comes to. And ego is something that will get in the way of good reading, not help it. So I just do the work. I'm in service. Wow, that's awesome. Has there ever been a time where you were in a situation where it probably wasn't the best time uh, to hear from a spirit? <laughs> and no, 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 that is something that I arranged with my guides. I said, here's the deal. 
I want an open sign and a closed sign. I do not read people's heads as they walk by because that invites things like drive-by psychic shooting. Now, what's a drive-by psychic shooting? That's what the Long Island medium supposedly does on her show. You know, there's somebody in Wegmans and they're feeling up the cantaloupe and she goes, excuse me, your Aunt Doris says you have a bull tire in the back and you're gonna die in a car accident in a week if you don't have a fix. Just telling you when she walks away, this is all bull. For one thing, her PR team goes out and checks out all the Wegmans on Long Island, picks one, then interviews a bunch of people who wanna be on the show and has them sign model releases and then it's rehearsed six times. But the thing is, a lot of people who don't know that think that's what they're supposed to do. And I train my clients and I lecture. Anybody comes up to you that you don't know and starts trying to give you a message, you immediately go, I do not want the information. I refuse it. You don't know who they are, if they're any good or what they're trying to do. And if they keep pushing you, you go and tell the manager you're being harassed. Now, there are people like the really wonderful mediums from Lilydale, one of the best spiritualist communities in the US. If they have a message for you like that, they would walk up to you and introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Reverend Shirley. I believe I have a message for you. May I come to you? And if you say yes, they'll deliver the message. And if you say no, they'll not and they'll walk away because they respect your boundaries. So as far as I'm concerned, three times you either have an energy exchange, you pay me for a session, you're doing a barter, you bring me a chicken or it's pro bono and I do it as a gift. Other than that, I do not get messages and that's exactly what I want. That's awesome. So that's why I was kind of asking if it's overwhelming. So, you know, like TV shows or whatever, when the people are like just hearing stuff constantly, I think that would be so exhausting. And I don't know how somebody would survive like that mentally themselves, because I mean, how could you live if, if imagine if somebody- you lose some of yourself when you do that because you do wow. not have the quiet, safe space to center yourself and be who you are. You let the power overtake you and that's when people get into trouble. Wow. Yeah, that's not, that can't, that can't be good for anything actually. Uh, a relationship, uh, working relationship, anything. If you mm -hmm. lose yourself, that you gotta go. <laughs> you gotta figure out something else, but- yes. Yeah. So who do you say that if I said, Corby, tell me who you are. So what would, what would you say? Well, I was the writer and actress in a totally medical family. Uh, dad and brother are doctors. Mom's a nurse. I would have stood on the dining room table and tap dance for a set of Shakespeare. They would not have known who I was. Um, <laughs> I did the very checkered career because I was trying to find out who I was, what my purpose was. Well, I finally figured that out through finding what I call my sentence of passion. And my purpose is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. If you're stuck here and I can get you across the bridge, I do my job. If I can tap you on the shoulder and say, here are your wings, you don't need a flight plan, now get, I'm doing my job. So. I do that. I love what I do. I'm funny. I was an yeah. actress, remember? So I've done stand-up comedy about you think a psychic's life is easy. But, you know, I'm not in some McMansion. We live in a little 
tiny bungalow in the middle of a hay field in upstate New York. My husband was a museum director for 23 years and is now happily retired and totally supports his wife who does not want to retire. You know, I mean, I tell people I'll work until I'm two weeks dead. And at that point, I'll be a spirit guide. I'll just change the name on the door. <laughs> I love this too much. Sorry. <laughs> I told you I'm funny. Don't apologize. I know you're that. funny. And I think I told you that I did stand up comedy too. So mm -hmm. I love so we get fun. each other. That's right. Yeah. I love funny. I don't love like bashing and like how some people just make fun of people and that's all they do in the comedy. I don't love mm -hmm. that because I feel like we shouldn't tear each other down. Yeah, it's funny every once in a while, but if that's all you do is roast people, that's not my kind of comedy. Some people love it, but, um, but I love funny. I love corny. I love like mm -hmm. stuff that some people are like, what in the world? I'm like, ha, ha, ha. that's hilarious. So, <laughs> all right. So you talked about cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. I love that. And I feel mm -hmm. like it pertains literally to what you're trying to get them to do and to see the light or however, I'm sorry, I don't know how it works. And to literally cross the bridge and to be able to be free of whatever. And then, or in life, it's absolutely pertains to that too, because there's so many times that I feel like we're stuck and we don't know what to do or what's the best mm -hmm. thing to do. And that's just, that's being a human adult, I think. But so when it pertains to the spirits, what is the process? Like, is there really a light? Like, what does that mean? I've heard that so many times, like help them find. Oh, you mean, what's it like when we die? Darling, sure. I have no idea because I don't remember dying though. I know I have several times before. What I understand once we cross over is, you know, I kid around, I say, well, you unpack your bag, you sign the guest register, you get the tour. But the first thing you do is you need to do your life review. Okay. And you feel as if it was you, all the wonderful things you ever did for other people and all their reactions. But all of the really negative things you did, you also get to feel how they affected other people. That mm. is hell. But then you're done. And then you, your soul, your higher self, absorbs everything that you need to learn from the life you just had, but you're in your full soul self. You drop things. For instance, who I was in 10th grade, there was a lot of personality stuff that was really me, but it's gone. Um, and I'm a different person. I admit I was that person, but I'm not that person anymore. The example I use is my father, who was my best friend. He really was. He was also a superb doctor. When he comes down and helps me when I do an occasional medical intuitive work, what comes down? Well, he still has a terrible ability to pun. His medical incisiveness, his compassion, his warmth. What completely dissolved when he crossed over because it was only needed to learn things down here? His depression, his anxiety, and his hypochondria. There's no need for that out there. So the negative things that we do to hold ourselves back will dissolve. The more you are in the positive, um, when I say light, I'm not talking love and light. I'm talking literally, it feels like you are lighter. Um, peaceful emotions, that's your soul. And those you get to keep. Wow. That's awesome. So past lives, 
You've talked about that. Mm-hmm. And you said you were a soldier in the yeah. past life. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. So were you male or female or do you know you were male then, right? Yes. And we have to be both male and female. We have to learn, from, if you will, from both sides of the fence. Um, from what I understand, my soul tends to come in 80% of the time is male, 20% is female. The female lives are where I do the really, really tough work. Wow. So not saying you have to tell me, and I know you don't do that, but like, do you like live, but if, do you do those readings? I know you do tarot and all that stuff. So if somebody paid you to do their past lives, is that something that you do is talk about there are that? Two, or... Yeah. Two different, two different circumstances. Okay. Um, I have done, I will not do a mediumship gallery because I don't censor what I get. And some of it is, you know, not for prime time. Um, yet the things that I say are important keys for the person who needs to speak to their dead person. So they need to be said. What I do uh, is a past life gallery. There are events called First Night Saratoga. A lot of major cities have this New Year's Eve and it's all over the city and there are lots of events. So for a couple of years, I did past night Saratoga, uh, first night rather, and did past life galleries. And there would be 75, 85 people in the room and I would start pulling identifiers. And we would get some pretty amazing stuff. One woman raised her hand. Remember, this is New Year's Eve. Everyone's all in their coats. She said, why do I have this thing for World War II, especially the home front and USO, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. And I took a second and I said, I'm seeing you, large Italian family, five kids. Four of them were soldiers. They all went, two went into the Air Force, one Navy one army, the two in the air force were shot down. Hmm. But your mother said they died for freedom and to protect America. We will not wear blue, uh, black for them. We will wear sky blue. And so the family, the women wore sky blue, not black. Um, And a lot of them kept it throughout their life as an honor to those brothers. And she stands up and she unzips her jacket. She takes it off. She's wearing sky blue outfit. She says, this has always been my favorite color. You know? Wow. I couldn't see it. So there's that. Um, Another one was a woman who said, I'm really worried about my son because he's 29. He won't live more than a mile from me. He keeps, you know, he has to ask me about every important decision. This isn't right. What's going on? So I went upstairs and said, okay, it's 1944, Utah beach. So this is D-Day. Your son is one of the soldiers on the beach. He's gotten some shrapnel on the leg. It's a pretty bad wound. You're his commanding officer. You have grabbed him. You're pulling him over the dune into safety. You take some shrapnel too, but you both get out and you both live. And I opened my eyes and she says, can you tell me what my rank was? I said, yes, you were a sergeant. She goes, he's called me sergeant since he was three years old and we've never known why. (laughs) that's when past lives are important to know do not come to me and say i must have been Anne Boleyn because i can't wear turtlenecks that's full and do not come to me and say i don't know i just want to know my past lives i'm not an entertainment venue i'm not zoltan like the guy in the commercial past lives are only important when you've got a block that you need to fix or heal an obsession of phobia a place or a person important to you and you don't know why. 
that's when past lives are important. Because face it, if you were a janitor in Des Moines and all of a sudden you realized, honestly, you were Napoleon Bonaparte, would you want to be handling, handling that mop? No. We only get them when they will help us move forward in this life. Well, that's awesome. So I told you my experience and I'm not going to bash him at all with this guy mm -hmm. uh, that claims that he is a psychic medium. And he was telling me like my name's from before that somebody was behind me and it was my used to be dad from my past life. And then other people weren't there for me. They were just hanging out in my house. And like, <laughs> I was like, uh, so I think sometimes that I, I don't know. I feel like how, what advice would you give for someone to kind of like, if somebody's fake or not, like, I know you talk about that kind of stuff, but what are some signs that they have no clue what they're talking about? And they're just trying to like, maybe get money from you or whatever. And that's actually hurtful. Okay. You don't want false information. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the fake gypsies and the madam who has and the Swami Swalandas. If you're told you have a family curse, um, there is negative uh, energy around you and you have to burn expensive candles or there's a hole in your aura, all of that stuff where they try to scare you and get you to keep coming back to them or buy candles or, you know, the example I use is a woman who got this in Canada. Oh, you have a family cut or so many in your family. Four, you have dog, $50 every family member, 25 for a dog, he's small, we six. And told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks, and the woman bought it. No. Whoa. The best of us will basically go, here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. We hand you the toolbox. We're not the repairman. Know your uncle's soul is not stuck in hell. And if you don't pay her to do a curse break, he'll stay in hell. No, absolutely. For one thing, there is no hell. There is not. God, that infinite point who made galaxies, and we are less than a dust moat on a dust moat. Do you really think that he is so vindictive that he's going to take his celestial thumb and go, mm, no, you'll never get to heaven? Of course not. That's a kindergartner's view of you're going to get punished because you were bad. You drew on the sidewalk. Get a life. <laughs> so, okay. That's a lot to take in. Okay. Mm -hmm. What? So you're saying that there's only heaven, but there's no hell. Is that That's what right. you're saying? That's right. Um, hell is something invented by the church so that you'll be scared enough to do what they say and give them money. If you knew that God was so infinitely forgiving that you didn't have to swear allegiance to him, her, it, you didn't have to pay for an indulgence, you wouldn't have to sacrifice so that they would still love you, what power would the church have? None. Wow. 
Yes, that makes sense. Um, I don't talk a lot about religion on here just because it's a touchy subject. That is that is any religion. Yeah, that is any religion, not just one. But religion of any kind is because we have little pea brains and we're trying to figure out the world. We never will. It's like taking an ant to calculus class. Not only does he not have the background, but he can hold a pencil in his little paw. Which is why I say to people, I do not care if you want to work with me, if you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, pagan, or believe in Ralph the Wonder Dog. I really don't. All you got to know is there is somebody up there who loves you, wants the best for you, and is willing to work with you. That's it. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm kind of the same way, but it's totally different with my life coaching. I don't care what religious background you have. I just want to help you. That's it. Like, you know, and I always say that we don't have to believe the same things. I'm not trying to force you into what I believe and other people are not sure. I feel like, you know, we all have a mind for a reason. We can all believe and feel and whatever the, whatever we want to. And so, and, and that's what makes us so diverse is that we all don't think the same. Thank goodness for that. And we don't all look the same. We shouldn't. Um, so let me ask you about clean out your life closet. Ah, uh, yes. And I love the names of everything that you give. I really love it because I, again, I love meanings to things. So, and your stuff is like, has triple meanings. So it's like literal and <laughs> figurative. So what is, is that, that's your book that you, that's is that your first book, book or, okay. Yes. And it is self-help because I remember the first self-help book I bought when I was 13 years old in 1968. And I remember the first paragraph, Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Remember this is the sixties. Her makeup is fab and, is, and her hair is far out, but nobody likes Judy because Judy's fat. Right in that first paragraph, hundreds of thousands oh. of young girls are told, you are worthless unless you're skinny and you do exactly what we tell you. That's a problem with most self-help books. It's do everything we tell you and it all gets better. And that's not the truth. When I was doing my research, there is one particular book that said you need to get up two hours early to do yoga and avoid food with leptin. Well, I'm sorry. If you are a single mom with two kids in school and you have a job and you live in Milwaukee, you are not going to do that. <laughs> so my whole process is here are some of the dumb things I did. Maybe here's a client story. And here are some things to think about. But then what I do is I use what I call the adventure pages. And the adventure pages are open-ended questions that you can only answer from your own life, not from the book. Here's an example, but I need my glasses. I am that old, all right? <laughs> okay. How perfect destroys good. Where do you beat yourself up most often? Why? Reimagine one of those times with the idea that good can triumph over perfect. What does it look like now? How would your life change? If you stopped thinking perfection was the only correct response to a project or a situation, notice that is not on page 82. You are allowed to look at your own life and realize your own life is the only self-help book you really need. I can point out some things you may want to look at, 
but you have your own answers. It empowers you, which a lot of self-help books do not. I like that a lot. I did a, um, I just did a, a video, a reel, and I was talking about that. Let your own self, like you have to be self-motivated, which I wasn't always, but now I want to beat myself. So for instance, I'm starting to lose weight again and I have lost 19 pounds. Woohoo. Uh, but I lost 80 pounds before and I lost 60 pounds before that. And so, and then I became like unhealthy again. So I'm trying to beat my own time when I do my miles, I usually do three miles a day. So I'm trying to get better and better with my times. So that led me to, okay, well now I have two minutes left and I have three tenths of this mile. I got to run now. So now I have to jog. So now every time I do it, I'm trying to be able to jog maybe a little bit further. So I'm like, okay, so this point I'm going to go from this light pole to this light pole. The next time around, I went from this light pole to two light poles. The next time mm -hmm. around I went from, you know, and so that gives me more motivation than look at this skinny lady that's running past me. And I always see her running. I don't know her story. I don't know her life. I don't know what she used to look like or if she's even healthy so i don't know that stuff and it doesn't matter to me what matters to me is that if i'm stronger healthier better than i was before and i have to be in the right mental space also so those are the things that are really important i believe because like i was so worried about what everybody else thought but what the most important thing is is how do i feel and what do i think and then that energy gets put out to everybody else about how they feel about me and so that's right. i think it's so important because i was so worried about so many things for the longest time and even doing comedy I, i'm like oh my gosh i'm so big and i'm on stage and and i'm the only female today and everybody's looking at me because i'm big well why are you putting yourself on about that I wasn't as funny when I was worried about that but when I mm -hmm. let it go and I say you know what they're supposed to look at me because that's why I'm mm -hmm. standing up here uh, make them laugh right and so yeah I think that's really important and I love that you said that so the self-help you you have to what what would you say for someone to actually I don't know. Like, how do you suggest somebody like believing in themselves or stopping listening to other people or whatever? I mean, well, I give them my two magic phrases for that last part. And those okay. are, thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish, and then you go do what the hell you want to do. You do. <laughs> um, but I work my life through what I call the three most important questions. And I learned them through a place called the Option Institute some 40 years ago. They are, what are you X about? X is whatever your emotion is. Why are you X about that? And the question we never ask ourselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being X about that? Okay. So, you know, are you depressed? Why? What do you think would happen if you stopped being depressed about what you're dealing with? And people say, I don't know. And then you just look at them and you go, if you had to guess, because when people have to guess, 
They figure that gives them an out and you're gonna hear what they really wanted to say, but we're afraid it would be wrong. So, and, and it even works with kids. You know, um, let's say uh, Bianca comes and slams the door. I hate my teacher. What's the matter? You're mad? Yes, I'm mad. What are you mad about? She gave us double homework and I won't get to go out and play. Okay. What do you think would happen if you stopped being mad about that? I don't know. You had to guess. I guess I could do it. Okay. So if you did your homework, then would you want to go out and play? Yeah. Think you want to try it? Okay. What you just did is you didn't tell the kid how she should be feeling. Mm -hmm. You didn't correct her. You didn't scold her. You let her feel the feeling and choose to change it herself. It's called stimulus belief response. If more kids could do that, the world would change. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to try that with my daughter. She is very much like me. So she is extremely emotional about everything. <laughs> literally, literally anything that you can feel an emotional emotion about that is like, I don't know. And so I'm going to try that with her because she gets sad. And I understand she lost her godfather passed away and he was young. It was right before his 40th birthday. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, you know, he's not in pain anymore. He was having so many health issues. And, but at nine, she doesn't care about that. She mm -hmm. doesn't care. Like, no offense. I mean, we don't want him to be in pain, but she's not thinking about that. She's not worried about that. She's just like, I can't see him anymore. That's her whole thing. So mm -hmm. I think if I word it differently, it will be very therapeutic for her and helpful and she can get out her thoughts and even with my 22 year old he would always say you're not listening to me even when I thought I was listening to him mm -hmm. and I'm like but I'm right here I I'm trying to listen so thank you so much for that I think it's really going to help my communication with them because it's really important for them to know that they are important they they're loved and but also you can't you can't get over on me, right? Especially the oldest one, but I'm here for you and I want to know your real feelings. So I I really love that. Oh, this is awesome. So, okay. What is the psychic yellow brick road? Did we already talk about it or? No, we didn't, <laughs> okay. but I'm giggling because the uh, subtitle of that is how to find the real wizards and avoid the flying monkeys. And remember <laughs> the story I told you about uh, the gypsy and the 400 blessed candles. I saw that happen years ago in Canada at a huge fair. And I realized that there were thousands of books that would tell you how to tap your psychic potential. And some biographies that said, I'm the only psychic you should go to. But there were no books that taught you how to find a psychic and use the information well. And I use the example you go to an art museum, you love sculpture. So you go and you look at all the sculptures and you really enjoy it, but it doesn't mean you wanna come home with a block of granite and a chisel and dig out the camel. You just <laughs> wanna appreciate and, and you know, use it well. So right. this book tells you what we can do, what we can't. It gives you some information on how to work with the psychic, questions that work, questions that don't, a little bit about the different things that we can do 
Um, lots of typical client questions like, is my spirit guide really going to abandon me? Some psychic said they would. Well, of course not. Um, so that is what the book's about. And frankly, I don't care if you never come to me after you read the book. That's not its purpose. If it sets you up so that you can see another intuitive and feel safe and get good information, well, it's like the old uh, expression, all boats rise. If you feel safe with an intuitive, all of us look a little better. Oh, well, that's good. So yeah, I, again, it's such a, a great air. Like people don't know what to believe or like sometimes with me, I just like had so much hope that I wanted to hear a certain thing that I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to, you know, and I joined this mm -hmm. one group and I, be I believe him. He's like really good, but it's where we could oh, all, we all went on. There was like hundreds of us on the screen and supposedly he would like pick out people. And I was like, please pick me. And I didn't get picked. And then I was like, oh, I was sad. But I think a lot of times that like I, I'm such an empathetic person and so impasse has something to do with, you know, um, what you guys say, but to me, empathetic is, I guess it makes a hundred percent sense, but in my nursing or in life or in things that I have experienced, I can like feel it with someone as well. Like I can put myself in their place. What, how would you explain like an uh, empath in your perspective, like meaning. Okay. For one thing, what you do is the big difference between compassion and pity. Pity is we keep ourselves separate. Oh, that's such a shame. Compassion is our saying, I am you. There, but for the grace of Ralph the Wonder Dog, go I. <laughs> and so an empath truly feels the pain accepts that this is painful for the client, the patient, whatever. But one of the things that they do need to learn, you can be empathic, but to be an empath, you have to learn when to dump it. Remember, I think I said that I was the tube it comes through, which is why when I do hands-on healing work, I don't take on that pain. I take the information, I let it run through me. And like any other doctor, I will wash my hands when I'm done or I'll ground it. I'll get rid of the energy because I am there as the healing instrument, not the healer. When people try to heal out of their own feelings of this person needs healing, you're gonna burn out. You're gonna be a crispy critter in short order. When all you do is move aside and let the celestial energy do it for you. You're the tool. You don't take credit for it. You're just grateful you can be there to do the work. That's a good point. Yeah, because it can like one of the coaches that I interviewed before said to not jump out of the boat with them. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a good point. Because mm -hmm. Like, especially in nursing, like it depends on the situation. If somebody's coding, yeah, uh, I'm not empathetic. I'm, <laughs> I'm 
I'm going to take action and I'm going to do what I have to do. I have to use my brain. I have to save your life. So that's yes. different. But when yes. you just found out that you have cancer or they had to amputate something you didn't know because they had to save your life or you just had a stroke at 20 something years old. I am there. I will hold your hand. I will be there for you and I will listen to you. Mm -hmm. I have actually had stroke symptoms even recently again. And I was just in the hospital, not even a week ago. Well, a week ago. Yeah. I got out last, uh, Wednesday. So I can be definitely empathetic with that because it happened to me, but I don't jump into that situation with them. Mm -hmm. I had to really like work on that because a lot of times I would take it home with me and I cannot imagine how many people I take care of in 12 hours. If I took all that home with me, Oh, like you said, with your, your job that you're blessed to have, you, you, you can't do that. Like it's not, it's, you, I can't provide for my own family or the other patients or anything if I'm just like sucking it all in. So um, that's something that took me a while to learn and to kind of grasp because especially when I worked in the ICU, it was so hard. And my, I lived in a little tiny town and my friends' families were dying and I was taking care of them. And I knew them personally and it was hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get it together because I can't be going and crying at home because of this, because I have to separate the two. But I feel like that's really, it's some, sometimes it's very hard, especially when you are, like you said, like empathetic. You, I think I need to learn more how to dump, like you said, because um, something can bother me for three weeks. Like if if I say, for instance, something with a patient and I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. Do, 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 do. And I can worry about it for weeks and I don't have control over it. Like <laughs> no control over it. So I feel like that's, I mean, that's not very healthy. Uh, <laughs> well, how would you suggest somebody do, does dump it? Like, how do you get rid of it? Like, what do you do? Well, you realize that you are just part of the story, number one. I know that it could be in their pre-birth plan, this challenge came along. Look at me, I'm a perfect example. Um, from the time I was 11, I had a Dolly Parton figure. But because I did not know how to appreciate it, I thought that it meant that I could say no to nobody, that this said I had to be available, I didn't have any rights. Well, that's not when I'm supposed to be learning. So I did the cancer dance three times. Third time was a double mastectomy, ovaries out, and I went from a Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects. And I had just been married 18 months before. Well, that's where the examined life comes in. What is the examined life? This thing is happening and it sucks and I don't want it, but it is and I'm stuck with it. The first thing you say is, what can I learn from this? For me as a teacher, the second thing is, how can I teach with it? And then the next thing is, next. Okay, don't stay stuck. So when they told me what they were going to have to do, I had to come up with three reasons to be okay with it. Didn't care how stupid they were. So the first reason was, okay, if you don't have them, you can't get cancer there. That's good. Number two, 
They're not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year. And every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about with that. <laughs> and third, implants. Cool. I'll be perky till I'm 93. I walked out of Mass General in three days and shopped for a bathing suit in five after a double mastectomy and reconstruction. That was 19 years ago. And I teach with that. But I don't push my cancer in everybody's face. Um, I know, you know, women, they had colon cancer 15 years ago and they come up and they introduce themselves. And they, Hi, I'm Mary Sue. I'm a cancer survivor. You know, in 1973, I was the Betty Crocker homemaker of tomorrow for New Jersey. Got a trip to Washington during Watergate and the whole nine yards. But I don't talk about it because it's not who I am now. I have moved on. I talk about my cancer dance, if it can help somebody else. Notice, I do not say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I do not call myself a survivor because that gives you the image of hanging on by teeth and toenails. I was a cancer dancer. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure, avoided getting my toes stepped on and got off the dance floor in one piece. Next, when we let go of those traumas, say, fine, there was a reason I had to go through it, but what am I going to do now? It moves us on. Even if, let's say, John gets prostate cancer and they say, well, it looks terminal. You got six months. What are you going to do with those six months? You live like there's no tomorrow. You say everything to everybody that you've ever wanted to say. You make sure people know they're loved. You see how much of your bucket list you can do. You take life right down to the rind so that when you cross over, there are no regrets. You don't waste it feeling sorry for yourself. And that's how we need to live life. We don't know when we're going to cross over. Admittedly, there was a gypsy, 1966, the Ventnor Boardwalk, who said I'd live until I was 89. These days, I say at 89, I get to renegotiate my contract should I choose to. But 68 is a lot closer to 89 than 11. So I live every day as if it could be my last. I don't waste time. I write my books. I work with my clients. I put down in writing, since words are my drug of choice, everything I want to leave behind. And that's a good day. I love that. I love how you word stuff. You can tell 100% that you are a writer because words, words are, are drug my of drug of choice. What? That's it. I love it. That is so freaking clever. Uh, and I love it. So I don't, what's my drug of choice? Uh, I don't know yet. Maybe hiking now. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, no, I, um, I think that's awesome. I love that. And it's a really good thing to, and you're very good with your words. So you're good at using that drug sister. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. Okay. So another thing I wanted to ask you, basically what is you've got the magic who needs a genie is that your last one that you that is my most recent i'm already most working recent. on a fourth book oh, wow. but if you're nuts enough to want to come play in the psychic field that's your book okay um for 18 years i was on the road 45 weekends a year forty-five thousand miles a year on the car my nickname was the travel channel but the universe kept saying, you should read at home. You should read at home. And I was going, no, no, no. It's fun. And I love being a Hilton Diamond. You know, you walk and they go, we're not worthy. 
Well, all of a sudden in the summer of 2019, I got a herniated disc and pinched nerve, which makes having triplets feel like a tea party. The doctors got me so that I'm no functioning, but they said, look, we're sorry, but your career is toast. Um, You're not going to be able to load in, load out anymore. You can't do the 10 hour drives in the car. So that was November. And so for the next three months, I scrambled to get my business online. And fine, what happens in March of 2020, but the advent of the years of murder, hornet, bingo, and hold my beer. That also, ironically, was the year that You've Got the Magic Who Needs a Genie came out, which is a a A-lister's guide to holistic expo success. Now, the world has changed very much since 2020. So we're just revising that book, tightening it up. Um, We've got a page on my website now of updates so that all of all of the URLs, et cetera, keep being updated. And it's going to be more useful now in 2023 than it was in 2020. So look, I'm 68. There are 8 billion people in the world. I can't read them all. You want to come play in the psychic field? Baby, there is room for you. (laughs) And you shouldn't have to invent the wheel. Here's everything I know. Wow. That's really, see, you're so helpful. And you're like, you're right. You're 8 billion. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. I did. Wow. 8 billion people. Um, wow. That's so awesome. Speaking of that, did you ever go to different countries or just, you just said you went around the United States? Canada. I love my Canadians. I really, really do. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was always so funny. You know, you had to go through customs and they said, oh, you're a psychic. Okay. Tell me something that you couldn't know, you know, classic line for all of them. You're overworked, you're underpaid, and you can't understand why the Americans are always such SOBs about the passports. And they would laugh and on a go. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was lovely. I really do love Canadians and I miss them terribly, but I'm just not doing the traveling anymore. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's not... It's not good for you to be sitting, especially with all your history with your herniated disc. Um, mm-hmm. I take care of a lot of patients that had surgery and laminectomies and different fusion things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's not good to be in that position for a long time anyway, even if you don't have any issues. But look how that worked out online. Mm-hmm. You didn't, I mean, it didn't change your life because you already had it established. You already had yeah. your book cooking uh that's really awesome i love that and so yeah things work out sometimes we think it's like the worst thing ever and it's like a setup for something good like really great to happen and you don't know and the process so like you said mindset is really important of like i'm really glad that you survived the cancer but you say uh you know you're not survived but that you live and then the cancer dancer and um because a lot of people don't And so, you know, a lot of people don't make it through that. And there's, it's a, it's a hard journey for families and the patient and everybody involved. So I'm glad that you're here and you're helping people. So where can we find you? Like you have a lot of different, uh, social media and, um, websites and stuff like where just, 
Basically, Danielle, they can't avoid me, is what I tell them. (laughs) The website is CorbyMitLive.com. You can find me on Facebook at CorbyMitLive Fire Through Spirit. You can find me on Medium, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and Patreon at CorbyMitLive. And Mitlide is spelled M-I-T-L-E-I-D. Just right. let y'all know. Um, so just a little tidbit of information. If it's a German name, then the E and I. So the I will come second. So just letting y'all know, Americans, we would probably want to say like lead. Uh, yes, not, they do. Yes, but it's but lied, like that's anything with the i second is going to sound like an i so just letting you know i lived in germany i love it and when i see names like that i'm like i i mess up so many other names but i will get that one right almost every time <laughs> if it's a doctor Good. or something i'm like oh i think i know how to say this always ask though because it's respectful so we names are important and you don't want to mess up somebody's name but yeah um all right so Let's see what I'm going to see. What advice, what random piece of advice do you have? We talked about a lot. We covered a lot for someone. Um, oh, we didn't talk about tarot cards too much. Maybe true. Can, um, I use both tarot and oracle cards. Tarot okay. is what I call the everyday tour bus. House card, job, kids, finances. Okay, God, you put me here. What the heck am I doing? All of my oracle cards have specific purposes. Uh, And they tell me when I buy them. There is one deck, it's the fairies oracle, but these are not the oozy-cutsy fairies. These guys march inside your head, rip up the floor tiles and give you homework. It's for serious spiritual questions. I have a deck by John Gray, the guy who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And that is specific for karma and relationships. Um, I've got an angel deck for people who go, fairies is scary, I want the angels. Okay, fine, here's your angel deck. And all of the decks are useful because they tell stories. And one of the things that I do is I make sure they understand the allegory. There's a card called the tower card, doom, gloom, destruction. No, think of it like the imploding sports stadium. Red Sox want to build a new stadium. They're going to have to blow up Fenway first and clear the ground. So when that card comes up, realize things will have to change in your life, but it's clearing the ground for something better. That way, people are not scared. They see it as just moving forward. And again, that's my whole thing is here are your opportunities, here are the challenges, here's your toolbox. Yeah, I love the toolbox thing because you can give somebody the best information in the world, but it's up to them if they understand it and use it and apply it. And just like the tools, like I can, you can give me a toolbox with 500 tools. I don't know which tool to use with what usually. So if you just handed me the toolbox and didn't explain anything, I would be kind of lost. But if you hand me the toolbox and said, Hey, there's a guide in here that tells you what each of these tools are. And I'd be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Then I would have a little bit yeah, more information. So that's really it's really awesome. All we can do is, I think it's so important for us to share our stories and help people. And, you know, like you said, if it pertains to some things and 
then you'll mention it and then if it's helpful but not to like boast and be like oh i i won the betty Crocker. what did you win <laughs> betty, See, betty crocker betty maker of tomorrow award for new jersey golly how awesome is that what is that not on your resume <laughs> Because we have so moved past that petunia pie, let me Just tell you. Joking. Okay, one other question. Are you, you're an ordained minister? We didn't talk about that. Okay. I am. So when did you become ordained? When I was on the road, I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, at that point, gay marriage was not legal. But if I had friends who wanted sacred ceremony and they batted for the same team, by God, I was going to give it to them. Also... When I would go to the South, um, very often I would have, you're reading a fortune, you're doing the devil's work. But if I said, oh no, I'm a reverend at spiritual counseling. Oh, reverend, we're so sorry. You go right ahead. So it was a safety factor. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's funny. Cause I'm in the South and um, it's different in the South. Mm -hmm. I lived uh, in Marietta, Georgia for seven years. Boy, howdy. It is different. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Guess where I live right beside Marietta, really? Georgia. Yeah. I can still give directions by the big chicken. Yes, I can. Oh, now, for those of you that don't understand, there is a <laughs> KFC that has a, how tall is it? 75, 100 foot it's mechanical really chicken. And it moves, yep. And it moves and it's googly eyes and people say, all right, you're going to go down 41 and you're going to turn left at the big chicken and people will know what you mean. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I didn't know what, what it meant for the longest time. It was really funny. I've been here almost six years. I actually live in Ackworth right now, but mm -hmm. I used, I lived in Marietta. Um, my last house, well, I've only had two houses since I've been here and the one was in Marietta, but I've always lived next to Woodstock. So like my okay. house is like, the one house was on a road, the literally two houses down was Woodstock. And now mm -hmm. my neighborhood, the other entrance of the neighborhood is in Woodstock. And then to the left of me is Kennesaw. And then a little bit like down the road is Marietta. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it's really funny. You're already I picking up the accent. Cause you said Kennesaw instead of a Kennesaw, like we say up in the north. Okay. Good for you. Yes, we do. It's Kennesaw. You go Kennesaw. It's all right. I get oh, it. I don't, you know, what's funny is that somebody <laughs> told me, this is so funny. I've never been to Louisiana in my life. The other day I was taking a uh, patient to ICU and we mm -hmm. hand off and we do all this stuff. We move the patient over, blah, blah, blah. And the one nurse is like, where was your accent from? Where are you from? And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, I'm from everywhere. I don't know where I'm from. I was like, I lived in Baltimore. And then, so I had that I to spoke totally different Then I moved to Ohio. So then I have a mixture of that. And then now I'm here. So it's mm -hmm. like all of them combined. She goes, you sound like my family from the bayou. I was like, what? <laughs> the bayou. that is funny. But, that, but if you lived in Baltimore, you now do. Okay. There, that city should only have two syllables when you talk Baltimore. about it. Baltimore, Baltimore. Yep. yep, I know how to say Good. it. I have been gone so long. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. I've been gone since uh, 2006. And mm. oh, I can snap into anything, though. If I go and literally like, well, unfortunately, when my brother passed, I went back to Maryland. And I had mm. lived in Ohio for four years at that point, And I snapped right back into it. But now it's a little bit harder because like, I've been here almost six years. And I've 
apparently have a southern accent now which is weird uh and (laughs) shoot no (laughs) i wasn't trying to i just i'm like i told you i'm an empath no i literally like observe everything and like um but in ohio like they used to make fun of me here in georgia nobody understood me and i think that's what happened when i first started working in decatur okay decatur georgia okay they don't say decatur it's like decatur uh but in decatur georgia nobody understood me i had to have a translator and she literally Mm -hmm. was speaking english to english it was crazy and i was like hello so i think that's what happened over time i just adjusted so the patients would get my vernacular and understand look um there are certain things i'm back in new york i talk like a new yorker but Uh if you walk up to me and i want to greet you i will still say hey instead of (laughs) hi yeah or how you doing it's hey which i picked up in atlanta i love hey i say hey but um i actually i start every episode with hey everybody <laughs> every single video and episode i'm like i don't know how it happened but i like it all right so all right i'm so excited thank you so much for joining corby and everybody thank you for watching and this was so fun i had a great time and i learned a lot so thank you for your expertise and your knowledge and sharing it with us. It was great to be here. Thanks. And I'm excited that you lived in Marietta. I had, I don't think we talked about that before. So that's really cool. All right. Universal have, giggles. <laughs> have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. thanks for listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart 